Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturgis. Take your Bibles in hand. We're going to pick up on something I departed from about four weeks ago. I'm going to try to wrap up this version, this year's version of our study on forgiveness, and it's entitled, When God's Opinion is Enough. We've based this study from the scripture, Matthew 18. You can find it on podcasts. I think there's four of them. This will be number five. They're worth listening to. They will help you going into the, to the holidays. As a matter of fact, I think I'm probably going to do a separate teaching video, not from here, that's uh, sort of like a tune-up for the holidays or survival gear for the holidays and about 20 or 25 minutes long. And it's principles from the story of Joseph in the Old Testament whose brothers sold him off, and he went into captivity for like 17 years. Crazy. And all of the things that happened, because there's so many things uh, that happen in the Joseph story that you can find going on during the holidays. Why? That's when families get together. The holidays bring us together with all of the fun, sometimes not, all of the different people in our families. We all have them, right? Say amen. The only reason you did not say amen, here's the only reason. Listen to me. If you just thought, well, I I really don't agree with him, then you probably are that person they said amen about. That's the only thing. So if you didn't say amen, go home and look in the mirror. But uh, survival for the holidays, I think I'm going to do that and put it up uh, online for you guys to look at it, and you can run down a checklist of things to do and not to do. But we're back to the story, uh, when God's opinion is enough. Now, I'm going to read through this story, it's sort of lengthy, pretty quickly. I'm going to do my best to only comment a couple times on it. So here we go. It starts off, the guy asking the question, look at the scripture either there or up there, verse 21. Can we have that? Uh, on the screen, and you'll see who's asking. Who is it that's talking? Come on, classroom, look at the screen. Who's, ask, who's talking? Then Peter said, now, for anybody that's been in faith anytime, Peter's a fun guy. We are all thankful that, the, that Peter was born, existed, and was a disciple because he's done everything we could possibly do and then some. And here's what we know by reading about the guy who would become the Apostle Peter, mouthpiece for the church on the day it was born. Of all things, this guy did just about everything stupid you could do, and God still kept him in his gang. How many know if Peter gets to stay in, there's hope for me? Okay, yes, all right. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. First of all, we assume because Jesus didn't come back and say anything about his question or the first question, that perhaps it's okay that we understand an act of transgression to be a sin against me. That is a loaded statement. It is a sin, but not against me. Ultimately, the Bible tells us that every sin is ultimately against God. What is sin? Sin is finding my worth outside of God. Any other place besides God and his word, or as we've said recently, sin is finding my identity outside of God and his opinion. And that's an important thing to remember. That definition works. And you say, no, I was talking to a pastor this week. And he says, you know, Tom, that that definition you have, he says, break it down for me. Because he says, you know, the the orthodoxical reference is sin is breaking God's law. I said, no, that's the vehicle that gets you to the destination. If you break God's law, you end up at a place outside of God's 
projection of what your worth is by his word. That's where you, that's where you end up. That's the destination, breaking the law. What takes you there is seeking a sense of identity or worth other than the opinion of God. Now, and you plug that in, okay? So what I want to say to you, first of all, adjust yourself because if you've been transgressed, here's the good news and the bad. The, good, the bad news is it's not a sin against you. You're not God. As a matter of fact, I mentioned Joseph a minute ago. The closing thing he does in chapter 50 of the book of Genesis, one more time, uh, at the end of toward his the end of his life, his father has died. It's a great story. Don't have time to go into it. But his brothers come back to him for like the third time and said, "Now our dad's dead, and you know what we did to you like forty years ago. I'm sure because you're the prime minister of Egypt, you're going to take it out on us and really beat us up." And he makes this statement. He says, "Am I in the place of God? Am I God?" And see, this time through, I didn't teach on that. But make no mistake, unforgiveness puts you in the place of deity. It's you trying to be God and and exact something that you can't exact against that person. Make no mistake, okay? Now, so uh, how many times shall my brother sin against me? Up to seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. You can go back and check out the teaching on that. He didn't mean to create a new uh, app for forgiveness. Boy, I need to do that. I could make some money on that. Oh, man. Jacqueline, remind me, the Matthew 18, 21 app, 22, 18, 20, that would sell. It's a list you can create for people and keep track of how many times you've forgiven them, okay? So when they hit 70 times 7, 490, it will come up, kill them now, you're done. I mean, I think it would sell. Okay, let's keep going. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven, now he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. We know at the end of the story, he's about to tell a story, but he says it's the kingdom of heaven. And uh, verse 35 at the end of the story says, my heavenly father. So we know now from hindsight that he's talking about God. Something that God's doing towards us as as people, okay? Uh, He compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his slaves when he had begun to settle them. One who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Current currency conversion is about $8 billion. Listen to me. How many know we can't wrap our heads around that? That that is just an insane amount of money, and neither could the people who were listening, okay? This just, what they did know, is he forgave him a debt that could otherwise never be paid in a hundred lifetimes by any relative uh, economic device. It could not be repaid. And we miss that point. Now, why is that important? Because later on, the Apostle Paul would write about us being forgiven of our debts and that our Savior, in fact, paid a debt that could never be paid. And so we know now from hindsight, we can look back at this story and say, wow, here's what he was talking about. Okay, so let's keep going with that. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold. Next week, I'm I'm probably going to come back to that, along with his wife and children, all that he had in repayment to be made. Listen to all the economic terminology that's here surrounding forgiveness. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Eight billion dollars wiped away. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. This is somewhere about ten to eleven thousand dollars. 
How many know we can wrap our head around that? How many know that's a lot of money? By, the, by, by anybody, even in the United States of America. You go to another country where the, uh, by the way, we're in the upper 20% uh, on the planet if, if we have food and live in a house. Okay? But uh, that's a lot of money. We can wrap our head around that. We can't around the other. You see, and watch, 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 watch. That's the problem with the daily life of faith. There's no way I can wrap my head around what I have been forgiven. We sing a song. Matter of fact, we sang it at the close of the teaching on this, that uh, um, here I am to worship. It says, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sins up on that cross. We don't. We can't wrap our head around it. But what we can wrap our head around are the people that have done us wrong. And I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek. We, we can't get how God has forgiven us our sins. We can't wrap our head around that as much as we try. But we can wrap our head around transgression, injustice, abuse, where we've been hurt or damaged, okay? We can wrap our head around that. And so we go out, and he says to him, pay back what you owe. His fellow slave fell to the ground, began to plead with him, saying, by the way, the identical words that the first guy had said earlier, have patience with me and I'll repay you. But he was unwilling threw him in prison until he should pay back all that was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they ratted him out because they were deeply grieved. They came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. And summoning him, the Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Here's the key to this passage as we discovered early on. Should you not also have had mercy? Everyone say mercy. You can go back and listen to it. If you'd like the notes, I'll send them to you. Send me an email, tom at newhopeonline, tom at newhopeonline.com, and I'll send you that. Mercy, listen, something uh, that we've resonated with around here for quite some time, if you're here for the first time. Mercy is God refusing to accept my opinion of me uh, or, or any opinion of me above his opinion of me. And you can say, see, if you grew up in church, if you're a student of Scripture, and you can say, I don't know that that's a very orthodox definition. Um, I build a case for that, and like I said, I'll be glad to send you the background on that from the, from the word study, especially in the New Testament, but in the Old as well. God refusing to accept any opinion of me, mine or any opinion of me, above his opinion of me. That's the force of mercy constantly at work. Listen to me. How many are thrilled that no matter what we do, God constantly refuses to accept our opinion of ourselves and our actions based on that opinion. He always stands and goes, no, I've got something more for you than that. That's a powerful thing. At the end of the story, he tells the slave, you came to me owing me $8 billion of debt. You fell down on your face wanting to have a relationship with me as a debtor. But I forgave you. I refuse to join you in your opinion of the debt and your action. And I forgave you. I released you. I expected you to accept my opinion of you and my opinion of forgiveness and go out and do likewise. Now, his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers. That's an important point of when you study the wrath of God. And we'll, we're going we're gonna to look at that in a moment. Handed him over to the torturers until she, he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father also will do the same to you if, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. A ton can be said here. Those uh, podcasts are online. I encourage you to go listen to them. Now, um, I've been uh, asked a question. What is the, the difference 
how do you go forward? When you forgive people, do you just forget everything? Do you just forget it? In actuality, we don't have the capacity to forget. That's a separate teaching. But in Corinthians, when we study love, it says, who do not take into account a wrong suffered. It is an accounting term. In actuality, you probably won't forget it. Honestly, I can tell you that there have been things that people have come up to me about and said, hey, will you forgive me for that? This happened to that. And I had honestly forgotten about it. And, and I said, of course, thank you for reminding me of that. You know, um, not sir, I didn't do that. Uh, but you, there will be those who forget that as we get older. I think you forget more things in general. So there's the, the upside of that. But um, the, the, the reality of it is, even when you remember, I won't take it into account. Look at me. In other words, I'm not going to calculate that reality in terms of determining what I do next. Let me say that again. To not take into account a wrong suffered means that my next action toward you will not be calculated through the lens of what you did wrong to me. It has to do not with memory, but with calculation, okay? Look at the person next to you and say, stop calculating. Go ahead and tell them that. Go ahead and don't remember it. Now... So, uh, I don't know, uh, several weeks ago, I received a, a little email blurb from Dr. Henry Cloud. Isn't it Cloud? I think it's Cloud. I've got several of his boundaries books, and he just, and the title of the email caught my attention, and it says, uh, Dealing with Forgiveness, Past, Present, and Future. And he made a point of referring to, to some words. He said, We deal with the past through forgiveness, the present through reconciliation, and the future through trust. And I thought, Huh. Uh, so I jumped on those three words, and I wanted to sort of test it against Scripture. And it has been an enlighten, enlightening journey that I intended to share with you guys about three weeks ago. But uh, forgiveness, uh, that one I can move through pretty quickly because we've talked about it. Forgiveness in the New Testament is from a Greek term that's an economic term, and it means to cancel remittance. In other words, you don't have to pay. It's an economic term. That means to cancel remittance, uh, cancel the payment, cancel the debt. It's where you say, it's where I say, you don't have to do anything or pay anything. Now, so forgiveness is oriented to the past. And look on the screen if you would. Forgiveness is to the past and you do not have to repay me what I deserve. Would you say that out loud? Forgiveness is you do not have to repay me what I deserve. Let's say it one more time. You do not have to repay me what I deserve. That is an important notion. Now, having taught on that term quite a bit, and you can find it online, I'm going to move past it pretty quickly because I want to get to one that I have not spent much time on, and that's reconciliation. Forgiveness has to do with the past, canceling the debt. It is saying, okay, great, there's no payback here. Why? Interpret these things through the story we just read. Because I have been forgiven an $8 billion debt of sin. And I have a wealth I can draw from, even though I don't understand it. I want to have the same attitude toward you that God had towards me. Because by that, I am blessed. I've said this a thousand times. You don't forgive. If you, you don't have to be spiritual to forgive. You need to be smart. You need to be not stupid. I mean it sort of humorously, but then not. 
The dumbest thing we can do is to be unforgiving. It is a stick we beat ourselves with. It's a prison we build to put ourselves in. It is self-imposed, self-afflicted reality that God never intends for us to walk in, ever. It is bondage we create for ourselves. Don't be stupid. And there are people in marriages, like I've said, that have had things happen decades ago and they're still out there informing their worth. And it's still held over their head sort of like a sword to keep, keep them leveraged and keep them uh, you know, right over the head. Well, if you do that, you remember you did. But what happens if you let that go? Okay, now let's keep going. That brings us to the present, reconciliation. And in Matthew chapter 5, I think I included that a verse of Scripture. Maybe I didn't. I, did I send that to you? It's not in my notes. Do you have Matthew 5, uh, Amanda? I think it's 23 and 24. I may not have sent those to you. In Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24, I didn't because they're not in my notes. Listen, Jesus is speaking, Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is incredible, incredible. You learn about the kingdom of God in the Sermon on the Mount. But he says, if you're on your way to offer a sacrifice, that's an act of worship. Watch this. He says, if, oh, there it is. Um, uh, Master said to him, well, no, 5, chapter 5. I'm sorry, did I say 25? I meant chapter 5, Matthew 5, 23. There we go. Wow, you're fast. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, look this way. The kind of offerings, this is before the death of Christ, and he was speaking about Old Testament worship. Listen. The kind of offering and sacrifice he was talking about was a sin offering. It was payment for sin. How many of that fits in our story? It's, it's amazing that that would have been the offering. So he says, therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering here, there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother. First of all, we don't understand the radical scope of that, of walking away from an offering. I'm, I wish I had time to develop that within that worship system and the ancient Near Eastern culture. He said, stop, stop. But the point I want us to get is it's a sin offering. So we need to realize it says, if you're in church worshiping, singing a song, thanking God for him dying on the cross and the peace and life and spirit that you enjoy living in you and you remember, shut your mouth, walk out of New Hope Church and go and find them. That's pretty radical, isn't it? Now, why would those things be associated? Because I've said before, it's in the moment as we are declaring a source of worth to God. See, that's what worship is. Lord, you are the center of my worth. You're the center of my worth. And see, God isn't really quiet about those matters. Because when we approach the watch, watch what Scripture says. Uh, Hebrews 4 says, I want you to boldly approach the throne of grace. See, I believe Scripture is not poetry. Everyone listen. Say, boldly approach a throne of grace. Psalm 22 says, God is enthroned upon the praises of his people. We begin to sing. God says, I am enthroned there. We've studied that. We talked about it last week. I talk about it a lot. That there's a sense of God's manifest presence. How many know God's throne only has one name in the Bible? Chapter 4. It's a throne of grace. 
that dynamic force that pushes back against sin. So we're here, we begin to sing and thank God for the sin offering for Jesus Christ. And the only reason I can open my mouth and praise and that you are enthroned on that is because Jesus Christ, the great sin offering, was paid. So as I'm there saying, Lord, you're the source of my worth, guess what happens next? Hebrews chapter 4 says it. Approach the throne of grace, watch, where you receive mercy and then grace. Why in that sequence? Because I approach the throne of grace. This is the throne right here, okay? And I'm like, Father, I love you. I worship you and I praise you. I bless you. You're the source of my worth. And all of a sudden, he begins to speak back to us and say, I don't think so. Okay, now he's talking back. Probably not, Tom. Well, why would you say that, God? Because you're holding unforgiveness in your heart because you think they can bring something back to you that will make you be worth more somehow, but they can't do that. They can't fix you. Only I can. Well, I don't think it's really the case. Well, that's your opinion. Here's mine. Why do you think that pops into our minds during a worship service? It's because we're telling God where our worth is found, but he has a different opinion about it, and he decides to interact with us. It happens. I'm telling you. Okay, let me keep going. Let's talk about reconciliation some more. Romans chapter 5. We're going to read several verses pretty quickly. You ready? It's here we're going to learn. It's a place in Scripture where the term is used in most densely in the number of times. For while we were still helpless, somebody say, that's me. That's me. You're not responding very well. This is a Pentecostal church. You're supposed to talk back to the preacher. Okay, here we go. For while we were still helpless, say, that's me. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. Yet God demonstrates his love toward us, toward us that while we were yet sinners, say, that's me. Okay? I was helpless. No, that's me. I was helpless. Wait, stop. I was helpless. I was a sinner. Yet Christ died for us. We're not done. Much more then, having then been justified by his blood, how we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, everybody say, that's me. That's me. See the three key words here. We were helpless, sinners, and enemies. We find ourselves against God, okay? We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. If you're reading the King James Version, I think it says atonement. And for years I've heard preachers say that in order to understand atonement, you need to break it down syllabically. At A-T hyphen O-N-E hyphen M-E-N-T. At one meant. Reconciliation makes us at one with God. To what extent? It makes us at one with his current opinion. At that point, salvation begins in our life. We step into the common ground of opinion. So then how might reconciliation apply to us? By the way, did you know one of the original terms in classic Greek for the term conciliation is purchase money. Money to purchase. Money for payment. Wow, that is just fascinating. Listen to me. We're not going to be here much longer, so... Everybody listen to me, okay? Being reconciled to God resulted in what? Me being at one with God in his opinion, and what happened? We didn't get wrath. We just read that. He said, I pulled back the wrath 
that I should have got given you. I, I didn't do that. We were made at one. So how does this apply to us? Reconcil- if, if forgiveness, can you pop forgiveness up there, Amanda? If forgiveness has to do with the past, that is, you do not have to repay me what I deserve, then watch reconciliation. Look at the screen. Reconciliation is the president, and I will not repay you what you deserve. Everybody see how they work? This is important. Forgiveness is where you're making the declaration, you do not have to repay what I deserve because ultimately you can't make me whole again. Only the king can. That's an important point of forgiveness. Now, so reconciliation has to do with the present. Forgiveness has to do with the past. Reconciliation has to do with the present. I will not repay you what you deserve. Woo! How many know that falls into line with the Corinthians notion that doesn't take into account a wrong suffer? That's a calculation. I've forgiven you. What does that mean then right now? I will not respond to you on the basis of that in the present. To that extent, we are at one with each other. We are at one. Well, what exactly does that mean? Because here comes the next question I've been asked for many years. What does forgiveness mean? What does forgiveness mean to an abusive spouse that's beaten me daily and from whom perhaps it ultimately resulted in a divorce or something? Do I just say, hey, that's cool. Here I am. I'm going to come back again. Beat me some more. No. And that, that is a, a study for another point, another point in time. But watch this. We're going to talk about three words here today. Forgiveness, reconciliation, and trust. Now, where trust is concerned, uh, Beth made a passing reference to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. We've studied it for two weeks. Let's hear it again in a bit different setting. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Okay? Now, let me tell you, when you go to look in God's word, the word trust, entrust, persuade, convince, influence, obey, believe, and faith all share the common root. Now, we, we, can, we, can, we, can, we can discover that. We can, we can, um, that's a fascinating study in its own as you begin to discover all the places in Scripture it is. It's used. But listen to these words closely. The words faith and trust share the same root. Both words have to do with two things, the future and what we can't see. Look again, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, why is that important? Let's insert for the fun of it, not really loosely. Now, trust is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, this is Pastor Tom's favorite timeline. That's always the past over here. Here's my past. I've forgiven. Here's the present. I've reconciled. I will not, you, you do not have to repay me what I deserve. I will not repay you what you deserve. But then how do I go to the next place? How do I go into the future and trust? See, because trust deals with the unseen. It deals what I hope for. Hope and unseen, look at the verse. It has to do with future events that we don't know for sure, the outcome. How do I step into that? Now, I want you to listen closely. Ultimately, we do not forgive or reconcile because we trust them, but because we trust God. I don't know what they're going to do in the future. Why is that important? Because if I act on my calculated ability to trust them, that means I'm accepting my opinion of them above God's opinion of the entire situation. Thus, the title of this recent 
uh, study on forgiveness when God's opinion isn't enough. I've entitled it Forgiveness When God's Opinion Is Enough. I begin to move into my life with freedom, with liberty and blessing. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, you're going to see this same word, pythopistis, that shows up. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. Well, what, is this, what is this about? For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced. There it is. It's actually, I like King James. I'm persuaded that he is able to guard what I have entrusted until when? The future, that day. How many are thankful that we have the confidence through the past actions of Christ on the cross, having forgiven me, his present residence in my life through the Holy Spirit, that that place with him in eternity is secure. Why? He made a loud statement on the cross. By Paul would write these words to Timothy. He'd say, based upon the words of Christ, the life he lived and the death he died, I am fully persuaded that I can trust him about that day that I can't yet see. He would make lots of statements about that. He said, I'm confident in Philippians that he who began a good work and you will complete it then. I can't see it now. It's unseen. My tomorrows are unseen. But my confidence, same word, by the way, I have faith that he's going to do it. So I can march into tomorrow, what? Not because I have faith in you or you or you, but because I have faith in him. Now, here's the takeaway. So how do we know, Pastor Tom, who to trust? When you trust what I trust, and I trust God. When you trust what I trust, and I trust God. When you trust what I trust, and I trust God. Now, that means, let's let's apply this. You may be dealing with a person that maybe is not a believer, that has trashed you, hurt you somewhere in the past. So so today, uh, you made the determination, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to cancel the debt. You don't have to repay me what I deserve. I'm here today in the future and saying, I'm not going to repay you today what you deserve. Well, great. Then everything's great. Just welcome me in with open arms. No, no. We have at one You say, well, that word reconciliation means at one We're at one with God. Did you know that God only trusts us with his presence, with gifts, with stuff, based upon our faithfulness? Now, the good news about that is he would also write in the same letter to Timothy. He says, you know, uh, he says, if you deny them, you'll be denied. If you do this, you do that. And, but then he says, but if you are faithless, wait, God's still faithful. He doesn't move because he can't deny himself. God continues to be faithful. So here's the deal. I want to get this absolutely clear because there are some of you who will be manipulated by controlling people. So you're a Christian. You need to forgive me. I have. Or you're a Christian. You need to be reconciled. I am. We're both standing on the same ground of a common opinion. Our at one is sharing these opinions. I will, you cannot repay you mean what I deserve, and I will not repay you what you deserve. We're at one in that. You good with that? They can say, well, yeah, I think so. So now you need to trust me. There are people sitting here who have been leveraged by manipulative, narcissistic people saying, well, you need to trust me. Oh, I do. Well, 
then I want you to do blah, 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 blah. No, I don't think so. Because that's not what God's word says. See, I'm going to trust you to the extent that you trust what I trust and I trust God. Right now, you trust yourself more than God. So all that does is tell me that you're not worthy of that trust yet because you're not there. That doesn't mean I want you to remind me, hey, I love you. I'm good with that. I love my mom. I love my mom. She's 92 years old. And she was telling me the other day, she says, you know, honey, I just can't remember things. And we were talking about it. I said, well, it's okay. I said, you know, we're sort of moving moving through life, and it happens. And if she would ask me at that moment, well, I, I discovered, you know, that I have a heart problem, let's say. And, well, honey, do you trust me? Well, or do you love me? Yeah. Well, why don't you let me do that heart surgery for you? Well, I don't think so. How many get what I'm talking about? If a person does not have the capacity to deal with that level of trust, don't give it to them. You're the idiot for doing it, not them. Please hear me. God does not that demand it. God doesn't do that with us. Go read the story of the stewards uh, in, in Luke 19, Matthew 25, I think. It's an amazing thing. God, when the one guy buries his, listen to what he says. In one of the versions, he says he gave a two talents to one, one talent to the other, and uh, excuse, uh, what was it, five, two, and one. The one with five came back and said, I've given you five, I've made five more. The one with two came back and said, I've two. The one with one came back and said, I buried it. And he says, take from him who has not and give to him who has. How many know that's counterintuitive? Why? Because God says, I don't trust people who won't do something with what I gave them. And I'll give it to somebody who will do something with what I gave them. That is how we should trust people. Everybody get that? If a person is still, you've forgiven them, but they're still going out. And they're getting high. I'm just picking on something. I, I'm not a situation. I'm, a, I'm not speaking anything here. But it's scenarios I've heard through the years. Well, I'm getting drunk and I still went out and drove the car and wrecked it again. Can I borrow your keys? No. Don't you? Don't you? Well, don't you love me? Absolutely. Well, but haven't you forgiven me for that? It was last month. Yes, I have. And I'm reconciled to you. But you're still drinking every day. So I'm not going to give you the keys to my car. I'm not going to trust you with the unseen I'm not going to trust you out of my sight for sure. Does anybody get what I'm talking about here? There's a difference because there are people beaten down by your faith. There are people that have used your faith against you. So if you're really a Christian, you're going to forgive me and you're going to trust me. All the, all the income free. I have forgiven you. I want to say it again. You do not need to repay me what I deserve. I will not repay you what you deserve. And you need to be glad for that. But neither am I going to trust you at a level beyond your capacity to steward that. Everybody get that? We really need to take that away practically. Now, there's some other phone calls that probably need to happen today. We've been making them on these Sundays. You may need to call somebody up and say, look, I've forgiven you. You don't need to repay me what I deserve. I've reconciled to, the, to, the, to, the, to where we are today. I won't repay you what you deserve. So we're going to walk forward from there. And I want you to know that I will trust you on the basis that you trust what I trust and I trust God. If you don't trust God, I won't trust you. That works in life. If people you're around just for the fun of it aren't operating on biblical principles you know to be true, you watch it. Run from that. Run from that. 
run from that. At workplace, if someone says, well, you know, the boss is doing this and doing that. And so, uh, you know, what we need to do to put pressure on them is I got this, you know, piece of information. So we're going to gossip about that. Run from that. Run from that. You run from that because that is not a principle of the kingdom and God won't bless that. All you got to do is walk away and say, sorry, I'm, I'm not into that. Now, then, then you'll have new people that are mad at you. Did you know that? Yeah. When you look at them and say, I, I just don't roll like that. And see, we live in the South where everybody loves Jesus. Everybody. People will do weird things. Say, that's just not how I roll. Why? Because I trust what God trusts. And I'll trust you when you trust what God trusts and I trust God. Okay? I've said everything about four times. There's no way I could make it more clear other than to make another stupid video like I made earlier today. And perhaps you'd... <laughs> memorize that okay so everybody stand up and look the guy next to you and say i think he's done okay so here we go hallelujah so what does it mean what does it mean what does it mean i'm going to pray real quickly and i'm going to ask you not to leave for about two minutes or three minutes until you can tell somebody I want you to turn and take the word of God and tell one person just any part of it that jumped out at you. Any part of the service, I want you to put it in your mouth so that you take this isolated moment of worship and some thought out the door. We must do this. I'm doing it with the youth student ministries every week now. They pray with each other. They talk to each other about what they've heard. Last week was about encouragement, and they in turn and encourage one another. And that was a wonderful thing. Um, But today we're going to do that. So keep your eyes open. Don't bow your heads. Don't close your eyes. Father, I pray that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And now, Lord, having studied your word, that same verse, Psalm 1914, says the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Lord, you are my rock on which I will increasingly find sure footing and no storm, rain, or tempest will blow me from it. Sure footing. And you are a redeemer who continues to unlock limitless promise and purpose in my life. And we ask that the word today does that. We ask that we leave from here, Father, with the attitude that says, you don't need to pay me back what I deserve. I won't pay you what you deserve. And I will trust you when you trust what I trust and I trust God. Hallelujah. I love you and praise you. I'm not going to say amen. We're going to say amen like this. I'm going to have you clap your hands. Hold on. Not because you like the preacher or it was good. It's because it's an act of appropriation and praise where scripture says to clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God. Hold it with a voice of triumph. Listen. It is a mean. Let me just model it for you. Father, I thank you for your word. Don't do it. Father, I thank you for your word. I praise you. I bless your name. And to whatever extent this act of praise may seem silly, it builds a bridge across two worlds. And my hand clapping of praise before you right now exalts you above everything else. And I pray that the word of God would be that way in my life above everything else. I want this truth to live in my heart. You can't remember all that, and I don't want you to. But I want you to clap your hands in an act of worship. And for some of you, right next to the person, you need to practice it on when you walk out the door and start getting in the car. You need to look and say, you don't need to pay me back what I deserve. I'm not going to pay you what you deserve. That would be an interesting conversation on the way home, won't it? 
Hey, just before we have this taco, let me run something by you. Bless your people, Father, and keep them. Cause your face to shine on them. Be gracious unto them. Lift your countenance upon them and give them peace. That are blessed of the Lord. I love my gang. I love my gang. I love New Hope Church. I love this family. I love the smiles, the words, the hugs, the unique personalities, the incredible deposits of grace that is in every life here that you intend to give concrete expression to. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's do it right now. Clap your hands. Hallelujah. Open your mouth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.